I would like for you to please stop reading the Bible. I mean this. I'm serious about this. I want you to stop reading the Bible. Uh, I want your family to stop reading the Bible. I want your children to stop. Just stop reading the Bible. If you're in a connection group, like say maybe you're in a men's group or a women's group or a connection group, uh, maybe meet on campus or, or one of our, uh, somebody's home, I, I want your group. Please stop, stop reading the Bible. I would love for us as a church family here at Genesis to just stop reading the Bible. I'm going to tell you why in just a minute, but before I do that, let's pray. Father, um, I am so thankful for your word, and I'm so thankful that you long to connect with us in your word. I lo- I, I, I'm so thankful that you, uh, you want to encounter us, you want to teach us, you want to lead us, you want to transform us all in and through your word. God, I pray that as a church family, you would increase our hunger for your word. May we be like the psalmist in Psalm 119 who says, my soul is consumed longing for your word. I pray that this morning, over the next half hour, you would guide my words and and that you would guide our time together. And Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes and our hearts and our ears, help us to hear what you want us to hear. And would you use the rest of our morning together to draw us closer to you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray, amen. Well, we are in week two of a series called Eat the Scroll. And today we're going to study Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to grab one under one of the chairs around you, you want to get on your phone, Joshua 1, verses 7 and 8. Last week, as Paul mentioned, we started our 40-day challenge. And if you missed it, you can hear that message on iTunes or on our Genesis Church app. And uh, again, as Paul mentioned, we handed out this 40-day challenge card, and we challenge you and your family to study the scripture for the next 40 days. Here's a few photos. We've been hearing some uh, great stories of people who have accepted the challenge, and they're using the SOAP Bible study method to feed themselves on God's Word. And so if you've not joined us in this challenge yet, it's not too late. Simply pick up a card. And, uh, and maybe pick up a notebook. This is what most people are doing. They're grabbing a notebook, and, and uh, they're just following along. And uh, it's a great opportunity to do it. You can, uh, you can follow us along by starting on, uh, with today's passage. Today's passage is John 3, 1 through 21. So you can go home and do that today. I hope you'll, I hope you'll join us. Um, a, a few weeks ago, while I was preparing for this series, I had one of those aha discovery moments. You have those in life, right? And here, here, here was what the thought that occurred to me. The thought occurred to me that nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible, are we told to read the Bible. Have you ever thought about that? Nowhere in Scripture are we actually commanded to just read the Bible. I, listen, reading the Bible is a wonderful discipline to have. It's a wonderful discipline to, to have in place in your life. Maybe you have a one-year Bible reading plan, and each year you make it your goal to read through the Bible in a year. Or maybe you pick out certain books that you like, and, and you want to read through those from beginning to end, and you want to learn from those. Listen, reading the Bible is a good thing. However, if Scripture doesn't tell us to read the Bible, then maybe we should consider stop reading it. Here's the conviction I've come to. I don't think that reading the Bible is really how God wants us to approach the Scriptures. 
Now, the question is, well, how does he? Well, if we're not supposed to read the Bible, Kevin, then what are we supposed to do? Well, let's look to Joshua 1, verse 7 and 8 for that. Let me set up the context. Moses led the people out of Egypt and into the wilderness. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses has now passed away, and Joshua is now taking over, and he's taking uh, the leadership role now. And God comes to Joshua, and here's what, jo- here's what he, he says to Joshua. He's going to give Joshua some marching orders. He's going to give him some instructions. Joshua's taken over the mantle of leadership, and here's some leadership wisdom that God is going to share with Joshua. Follow along. He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, Joshua, you will be prosperous and successful. Now, notice that God didn't tell Joshua to read the scriptures. God said, meditate on them. And what I want to tell you this morning is there's a big difference between reading the Bible and meditating on the Bible. These are two very different approaches to Scripture. And I think God wants us to meditate on the Bible and and not just read it. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say this, and this is in your notes if you want to follow along. If you want to know and follow God, then you must meditate on His Word. If you want to know and follow God, then you must meditate on His Word. And my hope for you, my hope for myself, and my hope for our church family is that we would become a people who meditate on God's word. Now, when you think about meditation, what comes to mind? Maybe you imagine someone sitting crisscross with their eyes closed and and their hands up and maybe doing some humming. I don't know why we do this thing with our fingers. What's this all about? Why is it every time we, uh, I don't know what that is. But maybe that's what comes to mind when when you think about meditating. We often associate meditation with mysticism. Many Eastern religions encourage meditation. Buddhism, for example, highly encourages meditating as a way of emptying the mind in order to focus on the soul. Well, biblical meditation is very different than that. Biblical meditation is not emptying your mind. It's actually filling your mind with God's truth. The word meditate is used 29 times throughout the NIV. There are a few different definitions, but the central meaning of the word meditate means this. It means to contemplate or to think about over and over again. It's very similar to the English word ruminate. Now, most of you uh, have probably never heard the word ruminate or you don't use that very often unless you're a farmer. Do we have any farmers who know what the word ruminate means? Anybody in the room? Okay, I saw one, one or two hands go up. Rumination is what a cow does when a cow eats food. So here's how this works. So a cow will chew its cud. Rumination is when this cow uh, eats some grass. When a cow eats some grass, chews it up, swallows it. Uh, It goes down in their stomach. It soaks up all of the acids. The grass does soaks up all the acids and the chemicals in their stomach. And then after a little while, catch this, you you may know this, uh, uh, a cow will regurgitate and burp back up the the grass and and chew on it some more. Isn't that disgusting? It's disgusting. I don't know if it's going to help you want to meditate on the Bible more or less. I don't know if this is encouraging or discouraging, but it's a good illustration. Uh, and so this is what a cow does. A cow will chew it, swallow it, digest it a little bit, regurgitate it back up, chew on it some more. And the cow will repeat that process over and over again, chewing its cut over and over again. Why? Because it's trying to get every ounce of nutrition out of that grass as possible. 
Well, biblical meditation is a lot like that. It's chewing on and digesting God's word so that we can extract every bit of goodness out of it. Now, I'm going to give you a, a definition of biblical meditation, and then we're going to work through Joshua 1. I'm going to show you where, how, how this uh, definition plays out in that passage. Here, here's the definition. Biblical meditation is the reflective study of Scripture for the purpose of knowing and following God. Biblical meditation is the reflective study of Scripture for the purpose of knowing and following God. It's the reflective study. It is not speed reading your way through the Bible. Meditating takes time. You can't just rush through a passage. It's reflective. And it's for the purpose of knowing and following God. It's not reading for the, for the, for the, per, for the goal of simply learning more about Scripture or getting through a certain uh, number of passages. No. Our goal in approaching the Scriptures is to have an impersonal encounter with God. When we approach God's Word, we want to meet with our Creator, our Heavenly Father who loves us. Listen, Christianity is about knowing and following a real person. There's a real and living person behind these words. And he longs to connect with you and I through his word. In fact, it's the primary way that God wants to connect with you is through his word. Now, let's look back at Joshua 1 again. This is the closest thing I've ever found to a formula in Scripture. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't prescribe formulas to, in Christianity, but this is, the, as I prepare for this message, it's the closest thing I've ever seen to a formula in the Bible. Let's, let's look at this in Joshua 1, verse 8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. There are three steps and a promise. We're going to walk through all of them. Notice the first phrase. God tells Joshua, keep this book of the law always on your lips. That's step one. Step one is that we must take in the scriptures. This is in your notes. We must take in the scriptures. You gotta take in God's word for yourself. Sermons are helpful. Good books on biblical principles are helpful. I love good books. I recommend them. I've recommended many of them to, to, to several of you. Uh, I'm all about a good sermon. I hope that our messages are somewhat helpful for you. But notice that God tells Joshua, you must take in my word, Joshua. It must be on your lips. We must be a people who take in God's word. We talked about this last week when we looked at the passage uh, in Hebrews, Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. Do you remember this one? Let's look at it again today. Hebrews 5, 11 to 14, the author says this. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food, he says. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Milk is when a mother eats food, digests it, and then presents it to the child, right? The child is not mature enough to chew or digest the food on his or her own. But as the child matures, two things happen. First, the child will begin to eat solid food and not just milk. And second, the, the child learns the skill of feeding themselves. This is happening every day in my home. 
check this guy out. This guy right here, isn't he adorable? Oh my goodness. That's my son, whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. Uh, that's my son, Gideon. Gideon is about eight months old. And uh, what you see there on his uh, plate or on his you know, thing there, tray, and uh, all over his hands, and you, I, you, I can see this a little, I don't, I don't know how close you can see this, but it's on his chest, it's on his face, there's actually some up on his eyebrow. That is, uh, those are puffs, Cheerios, and avocado, right? So he's learning how to eat that. Now it's, you know, you know how this is. Parents, if you're a parent you of a small child, or, you, or you, maybe it's been a few years, you're remembering this. Like every time he gets up, I'm like, you didn't put any of this in your mouth. Like this is all over, this is all over the chair. It's all over the floor. It's all over him. It's like when he eats, we got to give him a bath, okay? But here's the thing I want you to notice. Gideon's ability to eat solid food is running parallel with his ability to feed himself. As he learns to eat more and more solid food, he's learning to feed himself. There are two things that are running parallel. The same is true for us. The Greek word for infant in Hebrews 5 means immature, but it also means unskilled or untaught. And here's why this is important. Because many Christians go their whole life never learning the skill of feeding themselves. They go their whole life never learning how to feed on God's word. Well, how do we learn this skill? Well, there are two phrases here in Hebrews 5, verse 14. The two phrases I want to bring your attention to, verse 14, who by constant use, that's phrase number one, and phrase number two, train themselves. Constant can be defined as practice or a habit, while the word for train means exercise vigorously. What's the picture here? We developed a skill of feeding ourselves by practicing it over and over and over again. Listen, this is why we're giving the 40-day challenge. This is the reason. Our goal is that over the course of this series and over the course of these 40 days, by practicing the SOAP study method, you will develop the skill of feeding yourself on God's Word. This challenge is all about skill development. This is what we want for, uh, for you and for our church family. Listen, I grew up playing basketball. Uh, how many of y'all grew up playing sports? Okay, it's a, it's a common illustration. A lot of people to, can relate to it. I grew up playing in organized lead, leagues from the time I was six years old until I graduated from high school. I wasn't uh, good enough to go to college and play. <clears throat> you don't have to laugh about that. I don't, just... <laughs> Every young, I don't know why I said that. Every young basketball player... Uh, I, Every young basketball player has to learn a few basic skills, right? There are a few basic skills. In order to play basketball, you've got to learn how to dribble. You can't play basketball if you don't know how to dribble. I mean, there are a few exceptions. Uh, you've got to learn how to shoot the basketball. You have to learn how to play defense. And what's interesting is this. The best basketball players in the world, guys like Paul George, guys like LeBron James, Steph Curry, they are still developing and mastering those same basic skills that you and I learned when we were six years old. Ever thought about that? They go into practice every day. I guarantee you LeBron James is going to pick up a basketball day and work on his shooting. I guarantee you. He's going to work on his dribbling. They're going to work on their defense. These are skills they must master in order to be successful. Learning to feed yourself, learning to meditate on Scripture is a basic skill that every Christ follower must master in order to live a fruitful, successful life. 
A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a pastor who's also a high school football coach, and he used football as as the illustration. He said what most Christians need is the same thing that most football players need. He said more reps. He says more repetitions, more practice. He said, I'll challenge my offensive linemen to do one move with their foot. That right there. You may not be able to see that. Just to turn their foot right. He says, if they can't learn the skill, if my offensive linemen can't learn the skill to take their foot and just move it to the right, They'll never be successful because that's the first move of an offensive lineman to be able to turn and adjust to the defense. Well, the same is true for us as Christ followers. We've got to learn to practice being in God's word every day, feeding ourselves on his word, taking it in and developing that skill. So step one is that you've got to take in the scripture. Now, let's look back at Joshua 1 verse 8 to see step two. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Step one, step two, meditate on it day and night. Meditate on it day and night. That's step two. Listen, this is where most of us get it wrong, including me, right? All of us. We read the Bible, but we don't meditate on it. Here's what I mean. If you read a portion of scripture, if anything like me, this happens all the time for me, if you read a portion of scripture in the morning, and then you don't really think about that scripture or ponder it or contemplate on it or chew on it for the rest of the day. And then the next day you get up and you read another portion of scripture. And then again, you go throughout your day having never really thought about what you read, having never really contemplated about how it applies to the circumstances of your life. Well, you might want to stop doing that. Because I'm not sure that's working. I'm not sure that's what God has in mind. I'm not sure that that's how God wants us to approach the scriptures. He told Joshua meditate on my word. Now, I'm not saying there's no benefit in reading the scriptures, okay? You have to start there, right? I mean, you have to start by reading. What I'm saying is, it, it can't, the goal can't be just reading the Bible. If your goal is just simply to read the Bible, that's the equivalent of going to a Chinese buffet, piling your plate full of food, and scarfing it down. Because you don't get the enjoyment. You don't get the experience of savoring the food and chewing on it, enjoying it. I don't enjoy Chinese food that much, but I thought maybe you would. Uh, So here's the point. Instead of reading the Bible, let's be people who meditate on it. Instead of trying to get through a passage of Scripture, let's focus on what God wants us to get out of the Scripture. Biblical meditation, again, biblical meditation is the reflective study of Scripture for the purposes of knowing and following God. When we study a passage, we want to ask the question, how does this passage help me know God better? How does this help me grow in intimacy with you, God? How does this help me get closer to you? How does this help me follow you, God? Now, whether or not we know it, we all ruminate on something, right? We all meditate on things, various things in life. I don't know what it is for you. What is it that you think about uh, throughout the day? What are are the types of things in your life that you mull over and over again? What are the things that that, that stick with you as you go to bed at night and you wake up in the morning and it's the first thing on your mind? Those are the things we meditate on. We, we, We were created and designed to meditate. God's saying, I want you to meditate on my word. Let me give you a, a, a specific example of how I've tried this. I'm not good at this. I, I, I'm, this is still a skill I am learning to develop as well. And I, and I was really convicted because as I prepared for the message, I thought, gosh, what are, what's some passage I, I've meditated on? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I can, 
I got a couple maybe, but let me show you. The, I picked one that I thought was pretty, uh, has been pretty profound for me. It's in Isaiah 41, verse 9. Uh, I'm going to read you the verse, and I'll, I'll, I'll share you how I've been meditating on it. I, I took you from the ends of the earth. From its farthest corners, I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. I read this the first time this passage, I feel like the Lord brought this to my attention, was in uh, December of 2013. So I've been meditating on this scripture for a couple of years. And let me tell you why God brought it to me. Because I have a real fear of rejection. I am desperately afraid to be rejected by people. And that is something in my flesh, and that is something in my I can tie back to some sinful tendencies in my life. And I, will, I, I can't tell you how many times in my life, uh, almost on a weekly, daily basis, my fear of rejection leads me to, to sin, leads me to do something in order to overcome that fear in an unhealthy, fleshly way. And one day I was reading through Isaiah 41, and this phrase popped out at me. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. And as if the Lord just whispered in my ear, Kevin, I've chosen you. I have not rejected you. Therefore, don't worry about what other people think of you. And so from time to time throughout my life, I will be in a situation where I'll maybe have a conversation at work or maybe it's a conversation with my wife or an interaction with a friend and something will happen in that conversation where I emotionally start to spin out of control. I emotionally start to doubt myself. I start to get upset. I feel myself getting anxious. And I've discovered that what's driving a lot of that is this fear of rejection from the person I'm interacting with. And from time to time, I'll just kind of pray that prayer. Lord, you've chosen me and not rejected me. I have no need to try to get the acceptance of this person because you've accepted me. It's just one example. I don't know if it's a very good one or if that makes sense, but it's just one example of how I've tried to meditate on Scripture. It's one example of how you can meditate on Scripture. There are all kinds of Scriptures that you could meditate on. If you've got an area of your life where you're struggling, whether it's with worry or fear or sin or addiction, there are Scriptures that apply to this. God would say, take that Scripture and start meditating on it and thinking about it and wondering, how does it apply to my life and how do I pray this into my life? So step one is to take it in. Step two is to meditate on it. Let's see what step three is. Joshua 1.8. Keep it on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. I want you to catch this. We don't meditate on it just to meditate on it for the sake of meditating on it. There's a purpose, God tells Joshua. Meditate it on so that. If you have your Bible out, you want to circle, circle that phrase, so that. Here's the reason why God tells Joshua to meditate on it. So that you can be careful to do what? Everything written in it. Step three is this. It's in your notes. We've got to obey. We've got to obey the scriptures. We must take in God's word. We must meditate on it and then obey it. That's why meditating on scripture is so important because it sets us up for obedience. If your approach to scripture never forces you to wrestle with what it looks like to obey God's word, I think you need to change your approach. Let's look at Psalm 119, verse 11. The psalmist says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Obedience is not a popular idea these days. We don't like to obey. We live in a culture that celebrates disobedience, in fact. 
Let me ask you something. Where do you think the spirit of disobedience in our culture came from? I'll tell you. It came from Satan. Satan is the father of lies, and he's lied about obedience, and he's made it something negative, and Satan knows that obedience is key to following God, and he, he has convinced many Christians to believing that obedience is not important. And he's, he's convinced many Christians to believe that you can love God without really walking in obedience to God. But listen, that is not true. Jesus spoke about obedience more than anyone. Look, uh, just a couple of examples here. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? When you identify yourself with Jesus and declare, I'm a Christian, you are declaring that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Jesus is saying here, listen, to call me Lord means to obey me. Or how about the last night that Jesus is with his disciples? He says to them in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you be with you forever. I'll make one side note. Verse 16, come, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. And then verse 16, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. We obey through the Holy Spirit, not out of the flesh. You cannot live a life of obedience if you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. But I want to draw your attention back to verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. So we've been practicing the SOAP study method. Let's do that for about 15 seconds right now. If you love me, keep my commands. What do you observe in that text? I'm not asking for actual answers. Just look at it. If you love me, obey my commands. What do you see there? First, I want to show you, I want to show you two things I see. One, there's a clear connection between love and obedience. Jesus clearly makes a connection. If you love me, you keep my commands. There, there is a connection. We cannot deny it. The second thing I want you to see is this. Which comes first, love or obedience? not a trick question. If you love me, keep my commands. Love is the motivation. Love comes first. Love is what leads us to obeying Jesus. I've seen so many people try to live lives of obedience. I, I do it myself. Try to live, lives, uh, uh, live a life of obedience out of fear and not out of love. But perfect love casts out fear, we're told in the Bible. Love is to be our motivation. A few verses later, in verse 23, Jesus says it this way. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Look at that first. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Here's a reality check for us this morning. Obedience is a test of your love for God. It's not, a, it's not a prerequisite. You don't have to obey to prove your love, but love is a test. I mean, obedience is a test of your love for God. Dr. Henry Blackaby, author, former pastor, passed away a few years ago, said this, obedience is the outward expression of your love for God. If you have an obedience problem, check this, if you have an obedience problem, you have a love problem. Because if you love him, you will obey him. Let me present it another way, because this is really important. We have got to make this connection between uh, love and obedience. Uh, the other day, my wife and kids and I, we went to the grocery store, and we're walking down the aisles, and um, 
we go to the grocery together as a family most weeks. And so this has become a common practice. And so my children have learned what daddy likes, right? And so this is the first time they did this the other day. We're going down the aisle and Selah points to these uh, chocolate chip peanut butter cups. Okay, who loves them? Who loves them? Anybody else? Dark chocolate? We were at Trader Joe's. They're really good there. And, uh, and so Selah, my, my four-year-old, points and she goes, Daddy. She runs over to them. She picks them up. Daddy, you like these. I said, yes, I do. You're awesome. I love that. And then Zoe, she, you know, the middle younger sister, monkey see, monkey do. A few minutes later, she sees uh, apple juice. I like apple juice. I don't know what that reveals about me. But, uh, uh, and she goes, Daddy, Daddy, you, you, like, you like apple juice. I'm like, yes, you're right. See, here's what obedience is. It's saying to our Heavenly Father, you like this, don't you? You like it when I guard my tongue, don't you, Father? You like it when I humble myself and put someone else's needs ahead of my own. You like it. You like it when I work hard to repent of sin and get that out of my life and walk a life of righteousness and holiness. You like it when I set time alone in my calendar, in my schedule, uh, set aside time in my schedule to be alone with you. You like that. This is what it looks like to obey. We obey because we love God and we know it pleases him because obedience is God's love language. It's our way. Just like my, ch- my children say, Daddy, you like that? And I say, yes, you're right, I do. When we obey, we're saying to our Heavenly Father, God, you like this. This is, this is what you like. This is why we do this. Okay. Look what James chapter 1, verse 22 through 24 says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Oh, doesn't that, doesn't that sound like I'm just, I'll confess, right? That's me. I can't tell you. How many times do you read something and then uh, you get up and you walk away and you think to yourself, I don't remember a single word of what I just read in that Bible, right? Some of that is just kind of part of learning. But so often we just read the Bible, we move on, we don't think about what it says. I'm guilty of that. That's why I love the SOAP method. That's why we're using this tool. Because the SOAP study method is designed to slow you down. And so today, like for instance, if you're going to read uh, John, the passage from John 3, and uh, what is it? Today's is uh, John 3, 1 through 21. So if you're going to read that, that's 21 verses. By the way, it's a little bit longer than a few of the earlier ones. It's okay. It's called learning to eat solid food, take on more. And, uh, but I'm going to read those 21 verses, and as I read those 21 verses, I'm going to ask, Lord, Lord, is there a phrase? Is there just one phrase? One verse out of these 21 verses that that leave an impression on me that you'd want to use to speak to me, to encourage me, to correct me, to challenge me today. And so it takes time to actually think about that. It takes time not just to read it, but to think about what one verse or phrase in this 21 verses stands out to me. And then you write that phrase down. And then you go to O, observation. And now it takes more time to kind of stop and think and slow yourself down and go, okay, what do I see in that passage? What's going on? Is there any, any key words in there? Is there any commands for me to obey? Is there any examples to follow? What is that? And you write down, and you write down a few sentences of observation. That takes time. 
And then your application, you have to stand and say, well, okay, how does this apply to my life? How does this apply today? Lord, why would you bring this to my attention today? Is there something in my, something in my day today, something in the circumstances of my life that would lead you to bring this to my attention today? And you've got to think about that. And you write a few sentences of application now. And then you move to P, prayer. And you write a few sentences of prayer. I say, Lord, help me to live this out. Help me to obey this. Do you see how the SOAP study method is designed to help you meditate on Scripture? It's designed to help you avoid the trap of James 1. Not just to read it and move on, but to read it, slow down, meditate on it, think about it, and to try to obey it. Let's look at Joshua 1.8 one more time. I want to show you a promise that's tied to this. So step one, take it in. Step two, meditate on it. Step three, be careful to obey it. And then there's a promise. Check this out. It's, uh, the result is success. Go back to jo- the Joshua passage uh, for me. So if we keep it on our lips and meditate on it and careful to do, uh, to do it, then we will be what? Prosperous and successful. That's pretty incredible. That's an incredible promise. God's saying to you today, if you will, Take in my word and meditate on it and apply it to your life and obey it. You will live a successful life. That's a great promise that we need to hold to. We need to believe it. Let me ask you something. If you believe that promise, how would that affect your week this week? If you believe that promise, how would that affect the way you disciple your children? If you believe that promise, how would that affect the way you relate to your neighbors or the way you relate to your coworkers or maybe uh, your friends who don't know Christ? If you believe this, how should that impact our lives? Listen, biblical success and prosperity has less to do with the wealth of this world, but it's all about the things of eternity. Biblical success is about bearing eternal fruit. It means you're going to have a close, loving, intimate relationship with God if you will follow God's command in Joshua 1. It means not only will you have a close relationship with God, but that you can have close relationships with people. It means that God will transform your character and your priorities into the character and priorities of Christ. It means that God will sanctify you. He'll help you put off the old and put on the new. Biblical success means God will use you to influence others and make disciples. This is what biblical success is. It's living out of your identity. It's growing in intimacy with God. It's living a life of integrity. It's influencing others. This is the biblical success that God promises each one of us if we'll take in his word and if we'll meditate on it and we'll obey it. I love that uh, passage in Psalm 1. It's another another passage that shows the same basic pattern as Joshua 1. Let's look at it. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. The psalmist says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. By the way, do you notice that he doesn't say, what's also tied? How often should we meditate on God's word? How often? Oh, come on. One more. Day and night. night. Thank you, Daniel. So day and night. Day and night. Meditate on day and night. That person's like a tree. Listen to this. That person's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Oh, there it is in Psalm, in Psalm 1. What a picture of uh, biblical meditation and the role it plays in us living a successful life, the role that biblical meditation plays in us knowing and following God. Now, one, you know, the, the key illustration there in that Psalm 1 is a tree planted by streams of water. What's significant about a tree planted by streams of water? 
a tree's roots will send out, the tree's roots will go out towards the water source. The roots want to saturate themselves in water. The roots need to be in soil that is just moist and, and rich with good, life-giving water. It's the, it's the picture of biblical meditation. Here's the application for us today. Some of us are in a really dry season right now. It's a barren time for maybe you and your life. And you look around and you go, I'm not seeing a whole lot of fruit in my life. Maybe one of the reasons why, I don't know if it's the only reason, but maybe one of the reasons why is because you're not planted by streams of living water. We're not drinking living water. Listen to what Jeremiah said. And God said to Jeremiah in uh, Jeremiah 2.13, God said, my people have committed two sins. Number one, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You might say, Kevin, meditate on the word. That's something pastors do. I don't have time to meditate on the word. My guess is, you know when the next season of your favorite show on Netflix begins. You got that date already circled, don't you? You say, well, I don't really like to read and journal. I don't like to think about things like that. That's hard for me to do. But you know every sports story from every website that deals with your favorite team. I don't like to really contemplate. I don't know what that, you know, what's that look like? I'm not, I'm not a guy who, who meditates on God's word, but you can tell me every stat from your favorite running back in fantasy football. You know what every... You know who every celebrity is dating. You know what every singer wore to the Grammys. Oh, don't bother me. I, I, don't, I don't know about being immersed in God's word. Listen, we are digging our own cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. When right there next to us, sometimes in our own pocket, is the living water. Jesus said in John 5, 39 through 40, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. I'm, gonna say, I'm not telling you to study the Bible for the sake of studying the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus said, you're making a mistake if you're doing that. He's saying, these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Listen, the Bible is to lead us into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one thing. He is the living water that you and I so desperately need. And I feel like I say this next thing I say every time I preach. I'm going to say every time I preach, but I, I'm just so compelled by it. I hope you will be too. Every one of us sitting in this room one day will one day stand before Jesus and look him face to face. Everybody that you saw yesterday is going to look Jesus in the face. Everybody that you're going to see today and tomorrow and in your neighborhood and your workplace and in your school, everybody on the face of the earth, it all ends the same way. We all are going to stand before a real, living, risen Jesus Christ. God has given us a great gift. He's been gracious enough to give us his word and said, you can get to know me intimately. I want to develop an intimate relationship with you. I can lead you. You can follow me if you will meditate on my word. Let us be a church family who doesn't read the Bible. Let's be a church family who meditates on God's word. And let's see God 
and believe God will do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the promise of Scripture. I'm so thankful that you promised Joshua that if he would take in your word, that if he would meditate on it, if he'd be careful to obey, that he would live a successful, fruitful life. Lord, the psalmist said that. Jesus, you said it. Jesus, in John 15, you said, if my words remain in you, and you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. God, we want to be a people who bear much fruit, and we want our lives to bring you glory. Would you continue to teach us and help us to develop the skill of meditating on your word so we might know you and follow you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.